Welcome to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Join me in welcoming my guests as we'll discuss the ins and outs of the healthcare landscape and examine what is really happening inside big healthcare. Today starts Healthcare 360's Financial Health Week. Globally, we are in the middle of a healthcare crisis, and I asked my friend and independent financial consultant, Frank Toth, of Capital Conclusions, located here in Boca Raton, Florida, to peel back the financial onion on this conversation and give us an insider's look at how we got here, where we are, and what the future may hold. Frank and I will discuss the U.S. stimulus package, junk bonds, and bailouts, and lessons we can all learn from this pandemic. I hope you take the time to really listen to this unprecedented amount of information. From all of us at Healthcare 360, we wish you all the health, strength, and resilience. And as always, thank you for being a part of the Healthcare 360 Nation. Frank, thanks for jumping on, man. So everyone, we are on another episode of Healthcare 360, and following this week's theme, which is financial health. We're going to really piggyback that on what's happening throughout the globe with this crazy epidemic that we call COVID-19 or coronavirus. Frank is an independent financial consultant. I'm going to let him explain who he is, who he serves, and what he does. And one of the reasons why I brought Frank onto the show was because he doesn't have a high-level corporate kind of position. He's an independent business owner, okay? So he's in the good for everyone to make sure that people are making money, they're investing well, and he's doing the right thing at the right time for the right people, okay? But I want to get his perspective on what he feels as an independent financial consultant out there, what's happening to the market, what are the trends that are coming, and what we can do about it now. Frank, I appreciate you coming on and taking the time, friend. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Scott. I really appreciate uh, being on. I'm kind of honored, actually. I'm an open book, so you can ask away. So why don't we go through, and let's get kind of get rid of the, the softball stuff out of the way. Uh, why don't you tell everyone about your business, and then we'll, we'll give them your contact information in case they want to reach out to you. Sure. So we're an independent firm. Uh, we're more structured like a family office. Been independent for a long time, since 2013. Uh, representatives with IFP, Independent Financial Group, out of Tampa. Mm-hmm. So we're registered investment advisors. Um, but as I said, we're more of a family office. So our clientele, for the most part, pretty much aged between 50 to, to 70s, uh, is, is the bulk of our business uh, for our clientele, mainly serve the retail market, not the institutional or the, or the corporate market, although we do have some uh, corporations, uh, smaller corporations that we work with, but mainly the retail client. Okay. What is the website they can find you at or an email address? Yes. Yeah, so our website is capitalconclusions.com. Awesome. And what about your direct email? Sure. My email is frank.toth, and that's spelled T as in Tom, O as in Oscar, T as in Tom, H as in Henry. It's actually a Hungarian name, uh, at myifpadvisor.com. Awesome. All right. In a nutshell, what do you think of the current state outside of madness? <laughs> I guess madness is a good word for it. Lunacy? <laughs> Lunacy. Okay. That, that's a one-upper right there. <laughs> I, I think so. Look, this is, this is definitely different times. You know, we, we have not, nor have I, again, doing this 24 years, ever experienced a market like this before. You know, I was actually with Merrill Lynch, give you a, a two-minute little history. I actually graduated from FAU with a double major, uh, business management and finance. While I was you know, putting myself through school, landed a job at Merrill, part-time, sort of like an internship. I actually wound up working there full-time when I graduated, just became very disenchanted, really got annoyed with the politics. 
I learned a ton of things, but I wanted to build something and create something that was more client centric, which I thought was extremely important rather than be told, you know, what to give the client. I wanted to design something, you know, for the client, putting the client first. I think it was most important. Doing this, this amount of time going independent, basically, in know, four and going through the 2000s, the 2008s. I mean, this is truly historic. You know, this is, this is a health crisis. You know, we had 08 was a financial crisis, mm-hmm. right? Was solved by providing liquidity, which is the Fed is doing now, except three to five times as much, which is unprecedented. 2000, you know, was the dot-com. You know, I call it the dot-bomb. Mm-hmm. You had multiples that were just out of whack. Who was going to pay, you know, 40, 50, 100, 200 times earnings? At the end of the day, it does come back to fundamentals. I mean, we buy companies based upon what they earn, right? Goods and services, how the economy works. People buy things, they make money. You know, corporations make money, uh, shows up in earnings. So at the end of the day, fundamentals matter. They always matter. So I think now at this stage, there's a lot of things. And I, I think people really need to be informed as to what's going on and try and pull their emotions out of it because emotions drive 80% of, of our behavior. So give me a snapshot of your last... I'm going to give this a very broad stroke comment, but your last 45 days, both as an independent financial consultant, what you've noticed as trends in the market, two, and three, what your recommendations would be right now on what people can do. Sure. It's been a roller coaster. I mean, on our practice, we're very analytical, kind of a very analytical background. One of the reasons why I I sort of left Merrill, because I, I really like to peel back the onion and see know everything about it, in essence. And you know, I'm the guy reading at six in the morning till midnight, all the information. And I don't go to traditional news sources. I have friends you know, over the course of the years that were in hedge fund business, a commodity trader. So I have a, a really good source of information with people with feet on the ground and, and who are involved. What sort of off-topic or alternative sites can people go to that you're, that you're referencing? Well, most of the stuff that I have from contacts, quite honestly, Twitter is a great great area, but you just have to sift through it. You know, there are a lot of people on there that are very brilliant that post some, some good comments. Mm-hmm. Website specific, Real Investment Advice is a really great website to go to. Okay. A lot of my core friendships are in this business. I sort of leverage that and, and find out, you know, through interactions where things are going and, and get their intake and perspective. That's helped me tremendously. I try and stay off some of the mainstream news because politics aside, you know, when we're running our practice and people always ask me or the conversation comes up, right, left, right side, left side, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. In my opinion, you have to manage for the, let's call it economic environment that we're in. I don't care what your position is. Investments are going to behave a certain way based on the economics. You can be far right or far left, but you can't go against what's happening and you have to understand how that works, which is very important. So you got to take everything with a grain of salt and then come up with your own sort of analysis from all this information. I'm one to really delve into the specifics and just be as informed as possible and then try and pass that along. Found you and we hooked up on LinkedIn. I just, you know, I thought you were really interesting and knowledgeable. And, you know, I've been posting a lot on LinkedIn. If anyone follows me, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to give as much information out there to keep people aware of what's happening. I actually go out and I look for people on LinkedIn and I do a lot of background on them and say, Ooh, you know, yeah. what do they do? How are they posting? Uh, how is their engagement? What are they talking about? I, I really do a pretty good job at finding out. I want to get quality conversation, not yeah. n- not just like a pretty face or big name. Yeah, they've done something, but like Derek Jeter wasn't as good as when he was leaving the game versus when he entered the game, right? Sure. So I like sure. people from, from the very beginning, unknowns, who was like, look, because you have way more to offer than 
well, thank the, you. the yeah. VP of Merrill Lynch. Because he's looking out from here. He doesn't know the day-to-day of people that you're helping. He just yeah. doesn't. And that's what, that's what matters. So going back to the question about the 45 days, sure. what, what do you notice in day one versus today? We're managed more conservative by nature, but people, they didn't really see it coming, obviously. I mean, this was a total surprise. When the news first sort of broke, we started to hear minute things out of, out of China. I sort of had that gut feeling and maybe just from doing it, call it luck, call it intuition, we started to really pull on the reins and get more conservative and, and look for protection. I felt as though, look, it's, it was very euphoric. Fundamentals were being pushed out and people say, well, if it weren't for this, the economy could be going. You know what? I'm not necessarily agree with that. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. And if you really, again, I say this onion, peel back the layers of it, you could see that valuations were being stretched. Markets were being funded by corporate buybacks for a long time. I mean, this information is out there. It's not, you mm-hmm. know, corporations, right, were buying back their own stock. And in essence, this creates a good earnings per share because it means there's less floating out there. And that's how these things work. So it gives the sort of impression that things are really, really good. Now, granted, economically speaking, we were fairly good. However, we had the longest run in history. Pendulum, you and I both know it doesn't swing right. one way. Everything's a cycle. People yeah. lose to that. I have a few other friends myself who said the exact same statement that you just made. It's an echo at this point. They said, look, right before the epidemic here that just caused this massive global crisis, the U.S. economy was hanging on by a shoestring, in their exact words. It was. You kind of got the sense, and and it always happens, you know, passive investing, and I don't want to let's call it, you know, put the millennial on the, on the soapbox. But, you know, you had all these people that were, and it reminded me of 2000, easy money, put it in an index fund, let it roll. And people didn't understand the risk they were taking on. And, and I'm trying to you know, answer this in conjunction with your question. So in the beginning, you know, they had all this sort of euphoria. It's just like, oh, it's going to keep going up. Well, why? Why is it going to keep going? No, there's got to be a reason, right? There's got to be justification for everything. There's free markets. Markets work for certain reasons and until they don't, right? We had this pandemic, which we were totally unprepared for. A lot of people just, you know, was disbelief. I felt and our team felt that this was going to be a larger, a larger issue. Seeing it in China, you can never quite honestly believe the news that comes out of China. We talk to people about that, but we felt that it's time to really get conservative. So what asset classes do better are, are good quality assets. So it then started to turn into the panic. Things started going down rapidly and we saw some extreme moves. And there's a number of things that we can look at that almost forecasted where this was going to go. What topped you off there on the most extreme move that someone has done in your office? One of your clients, rather. There were people who want to go to cash, like immediately. Oh, really? Everything. They want to yeah. liquefy it and have cash in pocket. Yeah, considerably. And you know what? At the end of the day, you know, we always go back to the emotional piece because that always drives our behavior, right? Part of the stuff that we do is we really try and incorporate behavior and, and, and sort of model for it. It's very hard to do. We never know how we're going to behave with a certain situation until we're in it, mm-hmm. right? We can yeah. think we're going to behave one way, but when it's on us, then it's all of a sudden it's like, well, crap, so, you know, I'm out, I'm, I'm done. Like how much pain can I take? So it, it turned into this sort of wave of, and again, from, from me hearing this out there, you know, fortunately, I'm, I'm big on risk management. All of our portfolios were hedged. You know, we, we, we do hedging, you know, in our portfolios, and you can do that in multiple ways, fixed income, non-correlated assets. There are different ways on hedging portfolios to protect downside exposure, which we always have on. And it was pretty inexpensive, right? So you look at the market and you say, okay, well, if things are so good, the likelihood and everything's probabilities of it going down, well, then it's, it's cheaper to insure things. 
you know, fortunately for our clientele, we didn't, I would say maybe a handful of phone calls. There's a lot of algorithms trading this market. It's, it's a hard question to answer. No one really knows to be, to be yeah. truthful. Uh, right now, if you look at the stock, it's sub 24,000. I did a quick query the other day where I said, yeah. okay, where was the stock when President Obama walked in versus sure. when he walked out? So he basically improved the stock market by 150%, which means that he walked out just sub 21, 21 and a half, somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah. On the Dow. Yeah. On the Dow. And if you look at it now, it's at 24. It came down from just sub 29. So realistically Mm -hmm. speaking, if you're using just common sense, you're like, okay, well, we're not, how bad is it really? What's really going on? This is going to get to my follow-up question. That third part of that question is, right. What should people do with their money right now? This, this is this is the question that everyone has. What should they do with the money? Because they're looking at the stock and they're saying twenty four thousand is not that bad. You have a good day and it goes up twelve hundred points. Now you're just sub twenty six thousand again, and you're quote unquote okay. Yeah, it's if you're following it, that, it's a hard answer, right? Because every client's unique, right? They all have different desires. Some clients want ten percent. Some clients don't need it. They're good with two. It really comes down to the blueprint for that individual. You know, we've seen an increase in the markets as of recent, but you know, the increase, and again, this has never been done before. The Fed has injected $5 trillion. I mean, we're three times the amount in 08. They're buying bonds. They just announced that they're buying junk bonds. You want to talk about, let's call it rules of the game or, you know, what we call free markets. And it's concerning. We understanding that, right, we got this big blow. We weren't prepared for it. And they're trying to create liquidity. So we don't have the, the bank seize up, have money still being lent. But Part of the issue is, and, and people have some misconceptions, is that we're dealing with the medical issue right now. We're not even over the hump. What about the economic fallout from this? Sure. I mean, I ask this question all the time. Are you going to go out to eat in a month to a crowded restaurant? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about when the guy starts coughing at the table next? We threw this and- question around last night. Actually, this morning with my neighbor when I was walking my dogs. I looked at him. I said, I go, right now you see Publix. And they have the shields up in CVS. They have the shields up. That's great PPE protection that you can give to an employee, right? But let's just use Publix, for example. They have the shield up to protect against Mm cross-contamination six feet. The earliest reports of this virus said that that virus can live on objects up to 14 to 18 days. And you have hundreds of people going aisle to aisle, touching, grabbing, feeling put mm-hmm. it into a car, and then put it on the conveyor belt that now this single person now has to ring it up and charge for. And, I don't know, thousands of products, food products, going across their hands every day, whether they have gloves on or not. Mm-hmm. And we expect a shield not to get it. So my, my answer to you and, and that all that is, I believe that's a little bit far-fetched. Because everyone's eventually going to realize. Of course. How am I supposed to live with this? How am I supposed to go on? And the short answer is someone's going to say, okay, well, they're going to take the COVID-19 strand Mm -hmm. and they're going to build it into the flu vaccination. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, anyone who saw H1N1, that puppy has morphed over 20 times. Look it up. Yep. And it's going to be the same here. And we know that the the flu shot is less than, uh, I think it's only 5% effective. So it's less than 95% effective. It all depends on the type of strand that it is and how it morphs and the type of person and the conditions. 
I think personally, there's a lot of fear going on, a lot of fear mongering. And I agree. Are we going to get back? There's no doubt. But how long does that take? The variable, right? right? If it goes longer, you know, than, than May. Now, granted, there's already backlogs in the system with the PPP, the Personal Paycheck you know, Protection Program. They need to put more money into it. You know, banks are now looking at that program as a moneymaker because it's backed by the Fed. There's no risk. So what the Fed, in essence, is doing is taking the risk out of really everything and sort of, I don't want to say creating a false marketplace, but when you don't have, you know, it's, it's almost an oxymoron, you know, high yield bonds, which have never been purchased by the Fed before, are risk-free. I mean, mm-hmm. that's an oxymoron, you know, risk-free high yield bond because they're buying high yield debt. So, you know, the, the point is, is that if this thing takes longer, right, how many places go out of business? How many 17 million unemployed? Does that go to 2025? If corporations can now work more remotely, what, what does that mean? Well, maybe they get rid of 30% of their workforce. Again, I don't say these things because I'm some doomsdayer, but you know, in my modeling and everything that I try and look at, right? we keep going back to, well, at the end of the day, is this how we're going to make money or what? There are certain aspects. People are going to pivot. There are certain industries which are going to do better, remote, VR, things of that nature. I, I believe you're going to see a lot of consolidation. People to say, well, tomorrow, let's turn the light switch off and go back. In my opinion, I don't see it happening. Do I have the crystal ball? No. But for prices to get back to where they were with an economy with 20 million unemployed, if GDP is down by 40%, okay, if GDP drops by 50, well, then it logically should be worth half as much. One of the headlines that I was looking through, and so I, I checked three sites just mm-hmm. to get the broad stroke because obviously a lot of people go to these sites, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Fox News. That, that covers basically your left, your right, and middle, <laughs> depending on where you read it, right? But one of the headlines, it looks right here, it says, how do you reopen a $22 trillion economy? How do you boost that? How do you get that going? So when you go back and you look at the stimulus package of $2 million, which, by the way, they've already amended, already increased that funding by at least half, what do you do? How do you do it? If you had to name some things right now, what would you yep. put your money into or would you hold on to it? Biggest thing we're seeing is people weren't prepared. They didn't have enough cash on hand. I mean, people live paycheck to paycheck because they buy stuff they don't need. Sure. Talk about behavior a lot. This is going to bring people closer together. This is going to people say, hey, you know what? Maybe I don't need that. Maybe I need to have some money in the bank to carry me for a month or two. The amount of stimulus that's going out that people are wanting to get understood because of this, this craziness that's happened. People were very unprepared. So I would say, yeah, you need six months. People say in our industry, six months, nine months of living expenses. With everyone, it's different. I believe you do need a good amount of cash on hand. I wouldn't be rushing to throw it back into the market right now. I would slowly be looking at things and people say a dollar cost average approach, Mm -hmm. but I would look at higher quality because high quality, right? Probability wise is better at this point in time when things are so uncertain with the Fed buying bonds because now you have a hedge, the Fed's buying. So what's your risk in that perspective, right? Risk management. So we, we look at areas of, okay, if clients want to be involved, Let's look at things that have some, some hedge to them so that we're taking risk off the table. But it's still a very difficult market to navigate, and you have to have the stomach for the market to be up 5 6% a day. You know, in, in 08, it took, I think, about seven months. We were going up just like we are now. People can pull up the charts. I mean, you can look at this. All this information is public. Yeah. It's a while, and, but we did retest. Am I saying that we have to retest now? No. But the valuations from where we are, and I read this the other day, 
we are about, was, I was going to say somewhere between 13 to 15% where we're trading now of the most extreme valuation in history. So what does that mean? So so how are people supposed to not evaluate that comment, but in in essence, based on the multiples, based upon the prices of these stocks, because of the fact that really the the earnings is a big question mark. That's the next thing. How are they going to report? I don't even think they know. But based upon valuing those stocks relative to the price relative to earnings, we are at valuations or change, which we haven't seen in history, about 15 or 16% away. Wow. We're, we're potentially getting over the hump of the COVID, understandably so. But the economic impact of all businesses, they just said that cruises, I just read something, they're going to be uh, stalled for, was it six months? And people, I think, from the mentality is they're not going to want to go out and spend. You know, this is all saying we're an economy where everyone was spending, mm-hmm. spending, spending, right? That's what drives it, goods and services. Right. Who's going to have that mentality now? So we have to start looking at these things and saying, okay, if the consumer isn't spending, because everything's a consumer, it's all consumer sense, right? Consumer spending money, companies producing things. I think it's going to take a lot longer. And I, I think people are getting this sort of thing in their head where they're saying, oh, there's a light switch, economy's going to be back, all the jobs are coming back. I don't believe that to be so. I would love to be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong, but we always have to be prepared. So to follow up for that question right there, what markets are doing well and what markets do you anticipate to do well once things start kind of calming down and reforming and moving forward? Because I believe there's going to be a lot of acquisitions and mergers during this time as well. A lot of brick and mortar is going to shut down. Uh, Just look at college, for example. My kids are now realizing that although they love school because they love seeing their friends and all the sports and and their interactions, they don't need to go. So now you look mm-hmm. at a Harvard University education, which is $86,000 a year. You don't need to go. You can do it all virtually. Okay. So just that aspect alone. Correct. I believe we're going to see a lot of acquisition and merger. What areas do you usually find after a downslide? I don't want to say a recession or depression, but a downslide you find come up first? Yeah. It, look, it's always the high quality, your big blue chip names. Look, technology, if you look at the NASDAQ, technology index, that's, I believe, 10 or 12% off the highs. So, I mean, that's NASDAQ 100. You can take a look. I mean, that's really popped back. So technology, even through this, people are realizing that they're way underprepared. Robotics, uh, automation. You know, I could see Amazon, robotics. We've heard the news, right? What's happening with Amazon. So, so there are going to be a lot of places where there's going to be opportunity. I think those are the places coming out of this where you need to be positioned, higher quality bonds if fixed income is in within you know your portfolio. And again, every situation is unique. Those are the areas, the municipal, you know, municipals, I've always been a fan of tax-free bonds. What I think you saw when when we sort of to reach panics and lower levels is you had a lot of margin selling. And typically with margin selling, you have high quality assets that are sold. However, if you look, they bounce back immediately because of the demand of a high quality asset. I think those are the areas you need to focus on. You have to, you know, I always tell people in ETFs, I mean, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with them, but you really have to understand what you own inside the ETF. They're not all created equal. I post about this. Some are not equally weighted. Some are overweighted. You may think you're diversified, but you may have an overexposure to large cap. I see clients all the time. You know, when we, when we break down their things, they'll have, they think they're diversified, but they'll have 10 different managers or you know, passive funds and index funds, 80% in the same index. They all overlap. They all own the same stocks. 
but more importantly is they're correlated to each other. Well, if you're totally 100% correlated, then you're not diversified. It doesn't make any sense, right? Because all sure. the assets go in the same direction. You say you're diversified, but you're correlated. Well, that doesn't help. I think that people need to look at other like precious metals, commodities, you know, oils mm. at a major low. If anyone thinks that we're going to go to electric cars tomorrow and oils, I, I would beg to differ. That's Agreed. a political thing. Yeah, of right? course. Yeah. I think there are some good opportunities there. Eventually, we're getting there. Oil could drop lower. You know, it's sort of looking and see, you know, got to take into account the politics, the economics, the quality, and, and look at all these things and figure out the best areas. But I, I think, as I mentioned, higher quality is where you want to be when this thing comes out. You know, technology, for sure. Medicine. I mean, you're in healthcare. I, I was just about to ask you, what do you think about med tech right now? Because right Ooh. now, what I'm finding is that the reports yesterday was that all the startups have put on a hiring freeze. R&D has went to $0 for the most part because they can't, that's where all their funding mm -hmm. goes to after it comes in the door and their mm -hmm. investments for, so they can get a merger and acquisition after that. What sure. do you feel about med tech industry right now? You, you never know, you, you earlier, you're late, but based upon what we're going through, I think anything in that field is going to be very instrumental. I mean, there are a number of these companies that have lagged other industries during the upturn before we sort of had this crash, you know, especially healthcare. And I'm not going to go through the companies, but there, there's going to be very, very good opportunities, I feel, within that industry. I think based upon this pandemic, you're going to see a lot of money start to flow there eventually. Yeah, agreed. What have you learned from being at home and all this? It's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's different. I learned that I can operate from home, which is nice. Yeah, I've got three children, so trying to balance school with Google Classroom and, and working is, uh, is not an easy task. But I, I make myself accessible all times a day. I mean, that's sort of how we run things. We always had a contingency plan. God forbid, you know, if we did have a situation, because look, we plan for hurricanes down here. We've never had that issue, knock on wood. So we were always day by, day by day up and running. We have a small staff. All of us, my partner, myself, our assistants, you know, all working from home. Our, our platform actually is, is BNY Mellon in New York. So Pershing is the actual custodian of, of the client's assets. Mm -hmm. And no issues there, knock on wood. I mean, one of the biggest banks out there, BNY Mellon. So we, we don't have any problems. The last place that I had to go to was Home Depot. The one thing I found when I'm not leaving, and I've, again, I've only had to leave my house once in a little bit over a week. Uh, yeah. Outside of that, if I can go help my wife go food shopping, et cetera, is that I find myself on video calls all day or doing more computer stuff all day. So I'm actually finding myself getting busier all day. And, and one of the, my little tips for anyone who's yeah. listening to this, who's looking for a tip, if you have kids who are in virtual school, have them wake up, shower, and do everything as they will go into school and go through the day-to-day -day normal it's a great point. R routine because it's very easy. I caught my oldest daughter one time doing a video call in bed. Of course, I didn't interrupt her there, but I said, you know something? Not happening. Wake up, take your shower, get dressed, dress like you were going, prepare right. yourself, get your mindset in the, in the right order. Yeah. Yeah, but I go, nope. There's absolutely no compromise with that one. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm, I'm old school too. So structure, structure. You know, kids, in my opinion, feed off structure. You know, they say they don't, but they really do. They really do. They do. And they, and they need it. And you bring up such a great point. Trying to keep things kind of as they were and just being 
open with your kids. I mean, I, I think a lot of you know, and us having children, they're not going to share their emotions with you as much as maybe you think. They may, there may be things to be bothering them internally, and you just have to talk with them. You know, just be open to communicate with them. My son is 15. They're on social media all the time, mm-hmm. and they're coming across stuff because, again, what we read, they're reading. They're going to sites or getting news on their phone. Yeah. So they're being guarded by the same information. I imagine myself being 15 in a world, it's scary. I've lost some people through some very close friends to this. There is a sense of worry. I mean, and it's legitimate. Yeah. Have you talked to your children about the financial markets at all or the reason why not to buy things that you don't need? Any of those topic points at all? Is there a learning point or is there teaching moments that you've identified that you took yourself up on? You brought up another really, really good point. Look, we live in a society, I hate to say it, where I want it and I want it now. Entitlement society. You mean I right? can't touch it and have a drone come I, over and drop it off? Yeah, that's, that's next, right? right. <laughs> you could do that. I, I, I always say, who's paying for it? Oh, it's you happening. Know, like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that's the big question. Yeah, I don't have the magic money tree out back where I can pull up the bills. You take this time and the questions and they say to me, Dad, are you going to be okay? Yeah, I said, we're going to be fine. You know, we're going to be fine because... I'm a very simple person. I've, I've sort of always been that way. I cherish as a person, you know, relationships, family, more so than stuff. It's just stuff. I talk to my kids a lot about what do you really need? You know, are we safe? Do we have food to eat? Are you comfortable? You got a roof over your head? Okay, you got the essentials. You're doing great. God bless. I think this time people are going to sit back and, and really realize what they have and start to cherish it more and value it more mm-hmm. than any sneakers they have to order off of StockX. Sure. So yeah, we do have these discussions and we always talk about, look, wherever you have extreme situations like this, there will always be opportunity. The world will go on, right? Mm-hmm. It's how you always respond. We talk about basics of investing and saving money and things of that nature. But the biggest importance, you know, and the biggest lesson here is where I, I think parents teach them is, is that so many people lost their jobs. You have to have some sort of slush fund to fall back on, some sort of adequate savings. Yeah. Is you can't expect a bailout every time, right? That's not how it works. I mean, it's, it's sad to say, but we can't expect. And that's what's happening is that you look at the world. It's like, okay, give me a check. You know, we can go look at corporate CEOs that have done all these things, right? So thank God they didn't allow them to buy back their stock now with the loans that they're getting, right? But it's like moral hazard. It's like, what are you creating at the end of the day? And I hope that through this, people will start to cherish what they have more and focus on things that really matter. Mm-hmm. I think my kids get that. Yeah, that's one thing that I've identified is I really look forward to my nightly walk with my wife. She's had some back issues that she's really has overcome at this point. She does not have to worry about it anymore. She has some moments where it gets sore here and there, but she's mm. just thriving, thriving. Before it was hard for her to you know, walk around the block. Now we're walking miles at a time. Great. We're bringing our dog, and I'm like, hey, I want to go for a walk. I can really look forward to that walk now at the end of the day. Have we done that before? Uh, here and there, but we hadn't done it for a while because you know her back was sore, something was going on. But that's all gone now. So now that we have it, I'm like, okay, let's go. Yeah. And she is too. She's the same thing. So we haven't had necessarily the talk yet with our kids about the financials, uh, mm-hmm. but they see what's going on. And I'm like, look, we have a job. We have a roof overhead. We have you know food in the house. Everything's okay. And when they ask questions, I'm like, you know, you got to be prepared. You got to think about these things. Right. And my wife, and here's our balance. 
she's always, I'm not not happy. I'm very happy. <laughs> but she's the one who's more of the extrovert, smiling, all that kind of stuff. Right. I'm more of the thinker. I'm more of the analytical guy like yourself. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'll be in the shadows. Hmm. Yeah, you're modeling it, right? And I'm going through all the different scenarios to make sure that we're prepared. And to me, that's where I'm very comfortable there. And I'm very uncomfortable there at the same time. That's where my mesh comes in. But when it comes to the girls and the kids, as long as they're smiling and having fun, yep. that's all I care about at the end of the day. Just keep yeah, going. We're, yeah, we're similar like that. You take comfort in knowing and you can always plan so much as, you know, execute, execute. But seeing this, I mean, not like you, I made sure that we had appropriate stuff in the house, whether it was sanitized or things. If I didn't need it, I'll donate. You know, right. I mean, whatever. But you know, sort of being prepared. And the same thing comes with finances. People are so unprepared. It's just how the society is. And that's, I'm hoping that this brings them back in line with the reality of, you know what, we don't need that. We don't have to, let's eat at home. You know, it, it almost forces you to create these new habits. You take your perspectives and look at this, you know, the good that comes out of this. Granted, the, you know, the things that are happening are awful, but there is good. You know, there will be change. People are going to behave differently. Markets will be different, but life is going to be different. It is. It will be. So yeah. before we end up wrapping up, here are my two markets that I'm really interested in finding what's going to happen to. Obviously, healthcare being one of my, my staples, mm -hmm. what I'm involved with on day-to-day -day and what I'm really good at. The other mm -hmm. ones is just in general, the mergers and acquisitions. Who's going to gobble up who? Those are the two areas specifically that I'm looking for because everyone thinks consolidation is better. Not necessarily. I think competition's better at the end of the day. Again, this is not a political show, and I know we both are staying back right. from that, but people right. in the news and everything talk about that socialism aspect, and that's what right. I really don't want. I really don't want to see that because if you don't have competition, Correct. you don't have value. Part of the issue is, was a very, I think it was a hedge fund manager on CNBC, and it was kind of a controversial interview. Mm -hmm. One of the major spokespeople on CNBC. In essence, he said, you've got to let some of these companies fail. I mean, granted, we can't save everyone. I mean, we just can't print unlimited amounts of money and bail everyone out. I mean, what's the point of business? So, okay, so bail me out, pay my credit cards. And then that's what it comes down to. It, it's just things don't run like that. It's early yet. The Fed started buying and supporting junk bonds. I mean, this is, in essence, high yield debt. And if you look at some of the things that traded forward, was having major issues back in December. I mean, there were talks of potential bankruptcy, of restructure. Look at what, how their bonds traded on Friday. They shot up, I don't know how much, because of what the government's doing. So it's sort of creating this illusion. What happens when you pull that back? Or the next question is, how do you unwind that? And what are the ramifications for that? Is it just written off? What happens in that scenario? And then it's, what does that do to money at the end of the day? Money loses this value. Well, that's right? the so people say, right, now it comes hyperinflation. Then the devil's advocate will say, well, people aren't buying anything. If people aren't buying anything and you print, right, and you have all this money in circulation, now you have to lower the prices of goods and services because no one's buying anything. You have deflation. Well, they're not buying anything because they don't have the money to buy it. I, I don't know how it works out. No one knows because we've never been in this situation before. We've never had this much money thrown into the system. And we're not done yet. Do we become like a Japan with the amount of money as a percentage of their GDP? Grossly over where we're at. I don't know. What markets are you going to be looking for as your prime indicators of where the market's going to go? 
I think that you've got to see things sort of calm down, you know, in the market. We need to see, and we're far from that. Unemployment is probably going to continue to go up. I've read reports of, of a second half rebound. If air traffic starts picking up again, hotels, right? You have to see people start doing business again. And then again, how quickly does that progress? More of a macro view. You have to see these things as a whole start to improve. Until then, it's, it's hard to gauge. I looked at the stimulus package, the $2 yeah. trillion dollar initial stimulus mm-hmm. package. The majority <laughs> of that stimulus package was to support the airlines and all the, some people would consider that non-essential, but I mean, there's over 750,000 jobs with the airlines alone mm-hmm. in the hotel industries. It's important, a lot of those, those markets right now. Those are some of the things that I looked at right away that I found really interesting because most people are like, well, why aren't we throwing all this money in healthcare? Why aren't we not making yeah. sure that we have now a, an overabundant supply of ventilators and beds, contingency planning devices, et cetera? The answer is no one knew. They're just looking at people need a paycheck, like you talked about. And again, this is why it's so uncertain is that when are they going back to work? I mean, no one could tell you. No one well, knows, right? We don't know yet. We just don't have the data to determine that yet. And what's concerning is, is that if things go past, you know, we're all looking at like May 1st, like people have this sort of thing in their mind, like, oh, May 1st, everything's good. Well, no, right? Where kids are out of school, like, okay, well, so what? Does that mean the economy's hustling? But no, it, it doesn't. And that sort of time, right, that variable is really going to tell us how well this thing gets kicked back. Could it be second half? I don't think we see things turning around maybe 2022. It's hard to say. The election will see something happen. I hope. If someone comes out with you know, an antibody or we really see from social distancing this is really taking effect, then I think the probability start going up. That starts increasing. That's something right there, Frank, that you just talked about. Mm-hmm. The only thing that makes me fearful today is that they are rushing the shit out of this vaccine. Yeah, they okay. are. So, and the only thing that comes to mind, and I'm not trying to build fear-mongering at all, but the only thing that comes to mind when I think about that is I am legend, right? Because right. they had a cure for cancer or whatever it was in the movie, and mm-hmm. they started mandating this injection. That's not too far off of what's going on there. I'm not saying people are going to be turned to zombies, but I mean, we don't know the side effects of that. When Bill Gates, for example, tried to solve the problem of smallpox globally, mm-hmm. I watched in Bill's mind on Netflix, whatever, uh, or ex- explain in Bill's brain, wh- one of those topics. Yeah. It talked about the couple villages in Africa they couldn't get to where it was, I want to say epicenters, but there were the last remaining mm-hmm. cases of smallpox and they just couldn't get to them. In that, yeah, he eradicated for the most part up to the last 1% of mm-hmm. the disease. But what no one knows, if you do some further research, is that just under a half million people died from the inoculation. That's staggering. 100,000 people just died, quote unquote, because of the coronavirus. Right. A half million people died because of inoculation that was mandated. Yeah. So I, I hope there's better data that shows that it's going to work and it's not going to be something that's going to make people worse. I hope so too. You know, and that's often in times of panic, right? You try and push stuff through. You know, hopefully, you know, I know Israel is working on a few things. There was a, you know, a couple companies here uh, as well. Israel, they, there was something to report out that I read that they had three different things that they were working on, which could be 
promising. Mm-hmm. But right, you got to get to market. I mean, there's a lag time with that testing and everything else. It's hard to say. For the most part, just people just need to still be cautious. I don't think it's time to put all the chips on the table. We have to see how things play out. I mean, patience, that's the, that's the biggest thing. You got to be patient as we work through this. What are you reading right now for a book or audible book? And what are the podcasts that you listen to right now? Right now, reading as far as leisurely, nothing. I mean, what I try and do right now is I'm just modeling, I'm researching anything I can, you know, on the market just to keep my clients informed and prepared. I'm very passionate about it. So I love doing it. So a lot of my reading just comes from research in and of itself that I, that I do continuously. Your podcast is up there. I, I recently, I think, you know, Gary Vee was very motivational. There's a lot of things from a branding and marketing perspective. I think he brings a lot of value that people are doing. It's actually gotten me to do a number of things, you know, especially with LinkedIn and whatnot. So I'm still kind of new to the podcast, you know, seeing sort of getting into this. You know, I'm sure over the next course of the next few months, you know, I'm going to get more, you know, pull down some more things that, you know, I'm going to get engrossed in. There's one I'll, I'll recommend you to. There's one I listen to, uh, not regularly, but when I do turn on a different podcast, mm-hmm. I listen to 0.1%. Oh, okay. Very good. It's very, very good. And the gentleman who does it, I forget his name offhand, but he is part of that 0.1% of the financial income globally. And he achieved that mid-20s. Interesting. Came up with the technology. His story is everyone says if they had X amount of money, they would be happy and they would have everything they need and everything would kind of go away. Mm -hmm. And then he walked away from it. And he said, it's all bullshit. It's not the cure-all. He goes, people believe it's the cure-all. And yes, there are certain areas that will help with mm-hmm. at the end of the day. But at the end of the day, what really matters is making sure that you have a contingency plan, both financially mm-hmm. to help yourself and your family, and right. that you have the relationships in your life that are going to help get you mentally through what you need to get through. That's it. Yeah, I think that's what matters most. And, you know, look at a time like this, I think that you're going to see families are going to be more like families. It's kind of crazy that it took this to to bring it together, but I think people are really going to cherish what they have now more so than ever. Right. And time to do certain things, you know, and restructuring what they used to do and just do it differently. Yeah, agreed. You got the final word. What do you have to say? Okay, the final word for people is patience. I go back to patience. You know, we don't have enough data yet. We've seen an increase in the markets. I don't feel, in my opinion, that it's warranted valuation-wise. If you look at history, now granted, history changes, right? Mm-hmm. People say this is a guide, but this is an unprecedented situation that we're in. No one knows how it's going to turn out. The Fed's doing everything it can to provide liquidity, but this is still going to take some time to work through. So I think people just need to, and again, every person is unique. You're your risk profile is different from mine, different from Mary's, different from John's. So at the end of the day, it's not determining what's going to do well. It's determining from the client's perspective, right? What's best for them. Right. If they're comfortable, they'll be able to weather it. If they're comfortable and emotionally comfortable in what they are. Right. That's the main thing. Yeah, yeah. that's good stuff. Well, Frank, appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. This is Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. On the other side of me here, you are Frank Toth. Before we go, mention your website one more time for us. Our web address, www.capitalconclusions.com. You can reach us directly. Our number here locally, we're in Boca Raton, Florida, is our headquarters, 561-392-7400. And I highly encourage you to reach out to Frank, knowledgeable guy, 
when I look for people in his sector, I look for independent because again, if you go with the blue chip type companies like Frank talked about, they're kind of push a certain portfolio or plan that's going to benefit that corporation, not what's going to benefit you. So give Frank a, a shout and, uh, and know he'll do the best thing for you. Thank you for joining. We appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Perfect, dude. That was great. Awesome. All I right. appreciate it. See you, man. Good talking to you. Take care, Frank. From our family to yours, we hope you are feeling well. And we hope you gain some next level information and discussion with my friend, Frank Toth. Please continue to tune into Healthcare 360 social sites for follow-ups all this week during the Financial Health Conversation. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoy the conversation, please share this podcast and give us a review. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or anywhere you enjoy listening. If you want the conversation to continue, you can find us on Twitter at hc360podcast or healthcare360podcast.com. If you'd like to have a conversation or discuss a topic option on Healthcare 360, please look for the calendar link in the podcast notes below and let's set up a time to talk. I hope this conversation empowers and educates the HC360 Nation's best and brightest, and I look forward to building our relationship. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess. From all of us with the Healthcare 360 team, stay well, stay safe, and see you next time.